Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the final week in our church of our journey through uh, this book called The Red Letter Challenge. It's called The Red Letter Challenge because sometimes in some Bibles the words of Jesus are in a red color, in the red font. So the name of the Bible or the name of the book is to take the words of Jesus, to read them, and to put them into real practical daily application. So if you don't have a copy of this book, or if you, if you haven't been with us, and this is your first time here, uh, we have a book table set up, and you can, you can grab a book and do this at any uh, point in time. Uh, but for those of you who have been with us over these last five weeks, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thanks. I want to, I want to say thank you for uh, being willing to hear the words of Jesus, to read them, and to put them into daily practice. And I pray that if you have been doing this over the last five weeks, that maybe you've developed some new habits that can be helpful for you and for your families. Over the course of the last five weeks, these are the principles that we have learned. We have spent time at the invitation of Jesus to be with him. He says, I'm with you always, and so he invites us to be with him. We have, we have spent a week uh, forgiving one another and, and most of all receiving forgiveness that we don't deserve. That's what grace is, getting exactly what we don't deserve. And that's what Jesus gives to us. We spent a week serving other people because Jesus Christ came to serve us. We spent a week giving of our material possessions because God has given us those blessings in order to be a blessing to others. But now in this last week, I believe that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to even go out on a limb and say for the majority of you, this is probably the most difficult of them all. Because this is where things get personal and where things move from uh, just being an being a individual thing or just using your hands or just using your feet or just using your money. This is where we, we learn to use our lips and actually speak the name of Jesus and to tell others of the good news that exists in him. You know, we read this morning from Matthew chapter 4, uh, just now, which is the beginning of the call of, of uh, the disciples, at the very end of the book of Matthew, which I referenced in the baptism, uh, Jesus gave this command to his disciples, where he said this, going, going, make disciples of all nations, it, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Some translations of the Bible, actually most of them, uh, translate this by saying, go make disciples of all nations, as if go is the command. But it actually should be translated like this, while you are going, while you are going, make disciples. So what, what's the point here? That every one of us are always going somewhere. We're, we're constantly on the move. So going, make disciples. Of all nations. After the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus was alive on the earth for another 40 days. Sometimes we overlook this. For 40 days, Jesus was with his people after his resurrection. And after those 40 days, proving to them that he was really risen from the dead, he said to them, All right, now you need to go. Now, now it's up to you. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to come back eventually, but right now it's up to you. You don't go alone. I'm going I'm to fill you with the power of my Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be with you always, but you need to go. You need to go. Friends here at St. Peter and Paul, that command is also to you. You need to go. 
But here's the deal. Jesus didn't start at the end. He didn't start with a random group of people and say, okay, go make disciples. No, he began with them. And that's what we read in Matthew chapter 4. The, the very beginning was when he called his disciples, these fishermen, Peter and Andrew brothers, James and John brothers, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, follow after me and I will change your life. These were regular old fishermen. Some of you guys like to fish, right? These were fishermen. And he said, follow me and I'm going to change your life. You will become fishers of men. You will go and tell other people about me. So my friends, you who are gathered here today, the question to us then is, are, are you followers of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? When he says, follow after me, you're baptized. Are you actually doing it? I would say, you know, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you, if you confess him with your lips that, that Jesus is Lord, I truly believe that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Yes, you desire to have your life follow after his life, but what does that word follow hint at? The word follow actually hints at movement, right? If, if I said to you, go get in your car, and I'm going to get in my car, and I want you to follow me to my house, what am I saying to you? I'm saying, we're going somewhere. We're going somewhere, right? Get in your car, follow after me, I'm gonna lead you, we're going. So when Jesus says, follow me, what does he mean? We're going somewhere. When we believe in Jesus, it means that we follow after Jesus. Here's the reality, you cannot be with Jesus and stay put. Put that up on the screen. You cannot be with Jesus and stay put because Jesus is on the move even today. He rose from the dead. He is alive. He sent his spirit into the world. Jesus is on mission in this world to seek and to save the lost. And if you claim that you have a, your life wrapped up in his life, you too will be on the move. And when we talk about movement, when we talk about following after Jesus... We're not just talking about our bodies. We are talking about our lips as well. But what I hear from many of you, and I have, a lot, I have conversations with a lot of you at different times. What I hear from a lot of you is this. I'm willing to follow Jesus with my heart. I'm willing to follow Jesus with my mind. I'm willing to follow Jesus and use my hands to serve those in need. I'm even willing to follow Jesus and, and give my money to, to, to causes that grow his kingdom. But I think a lot of you are living with mutes in your mouths. <laughs> because you say that you don't know how to speak about Jesus. And I get it, and that's very fair. But a lot of you have asked me before, and, and people say in general, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say about Jesus? I, frankly, I don't know that much about the Bible. I, I suppose I could open it up and, and read it. That might teach me more. That's probably true, right? But that's fair. 
You know, I, I don't know that much about the Bible. People always have hard questions about, about faith. And what if they ask me something that I don't know the answer to? I don't want my lack of knowledge to look bad on the church or to look bad on Jesus or to make it seem like I'm not a real Christian. What if I don't know what to say? And, and frankly, to top it all off, you know, other people have things that they believe in. I don't want to come across as pushy or, or preachy. Did I describe any of your thoughts? I would imagine so because I'm quoting word for word from some of you. So I know that some of you are thinking these things. But let me just remind you of this. In the Bible, when we look at the lives of the disciples, the ones who Jesus actually chose... They hardly ever say or do the right thing. They mess it up all of the time. And yet these are the guys that Jesus chose to be his first followers. And these are some of the guys who wrote the Bible. Don't ever think that Jesus can't work through you and your misspoken words and your mistakes. Frankly, that's sometimes how he works best. My friends, Jesus never invites us into a relationship where we understand him perfectly, but he invites us into a relationship where we can trust him completely. We don't have to understand him perfectly. That's not what he expects of us, but he does expect us to trust him completely. So the question is, do you trust Jesus? If you've been following on the Red Letter Challenge and, and, and taking these words of Jesus to heart, it means that, yeah, you trust that you can be with him and that he's with you always. You trust him when he says, I forgive you. You trust him when he says, I came, I came not to be served, but to serve. You trust him with your money. You trust him that he's going to give you oxygen to breathe every single day. Do you trust him that he can work with your words? Do you trust that he can work with, his, with your words? Here's plain and simple, plain and practical what I want you to do and all that you need to do, really. All you need to do is answer this question for yourself. What has Jesus done in my life? And what difference does that make? What has Jesus done in my life? And what difference does it make? Some of you have been coming to church your whole lives, just merely out of ritual or obligation, and maybe you've never even thought about this before. If you've never thought about this, if you don't have a plain and simple answer to this question, think about it and get a plain and simple answer to the question. And maybe it's, it's simply you reflect back on some of the practical applications from this Red Letter Challenge. See, if, if you can say to people in your everyday lives, people who are who are stressed and hurried and busied and running all over the place and are anxious and worried, you can say to them, hey, you know what I've learned? I've learned that in Jesus, there's, there's this true peace and true rest that, that can't come just merely from relaxation. I, I don't know how to explain it, but I've experienced it. This, this exists in Jesus. You can tell people that. If you're at a workplace or at a family gathering and, and folks are, are gossiping about somebody else who's not in the room, you could step in and speak well about the other person. And you could say, hey, you know what I've learned 
from Jesus is that, is that he always gives me exactly what I don't deserve. He always loves me even when I'm unlovable. I think it would be best for us to extend grace to this person. There are so many practical applications for our life of faith. And simply all you need to do is come to grips with the reality that Jesus has actually done something in your life. And that you can speak that to other people. That is a powerful thing and sometimes that's all it takes. Just think about your practical lives on a daily basis. What do you do when you love a product? If you buy something from the store and you love it, what do you do? You probably can't stop talking about it, right? Maybe you go ahead and you write a review on Amazon. But even more likely, you probably tell all your friends about this new thing that you bought and how you can't believe that you lived life without it. How much greater is the reality that we have eternal salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord, my friends. How could you stop from talking about that? All you need to do is, in a way, figure out how to write a positive review of Jesus Christ and what he has done to change your life. You know, I think many of us treat Jesus like running water. We take him for granted. We take for granted the fact that we have running water coming to our houses, and it's only when it stops that we realize that it's not there. But I think we treat Jesus like running water. It's, we, just, we, we don't get all that impassioned about the fact that we have clean running water. Unless you live in a third world country, you've never experienced that. But you might, you might get excited about the, the new faucet that you bought or the shower head or the new washing machine. Things that utilize the water. But how many of you are impassionately telling people on a daily basis, I've got clean water to drink. I think we take Jesus for granted. My friends, it's a huge deal that you have clean running water to drink and to use. Now, I just want you to be thinking about these questions. What has Jesus done in my life? And what difference does that make? Why do you follow after Jesus? What's the big deal? Why are you here on this dreary Sunday morning? You don't have to be. I know that some of you who are gathered here this day, some of you probably are new to the Christian faith. Some of you maybe aren't, aren't even all that sure about Jesus and, and who he is. So let me just tell you, I know, I know what it's like to, to be lost. I know what it's like to be broken. I know what it's like to be at the, at the bottom of life and not know where to go. I know what it's like metaphorically and spiritually to have a dreary day in my life. And I'll tell you what, there is a reality of hope of light, of love, of peace, of joy, of forgiveness that breaks through all this mess and exists at the same time. And in that truth is the love and light of Jesus Christ. And my friends, I want you to know, I want you to know that that love is for you, every single one of you. That no matter how far you think you've run, no matter, no matter the things that you think you've done that are unforgivable, when Jesus stretched his arms out on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, he was talking to you. His love is for you, my friends. His love is for you. 
And I simply just want you to be able to hear those words. And I want you, my friends, every one of you, to be able to answer this question yourselves. What has Jesus done in my life and what difference does that make? I think if you ask business owners what's the, what's the most successful marketing strategy that they have for the successful businesses, I, I bet they would say it's, it's word of mouth marketing. It's people who are impassioned about the product or the company that, that tell everybody else, my friends, what greater gift is there to you than the eternal salvation and the daily forgiveness that is given to you free of charge solely through Jesus Christ. We must not remain silent. And why would we if we truly confess that this news is life-changing? Martin Luther once said, go and do not be silent. You are not the only ones to be saved. I believe that's true. We cannot be silent for we are not the only ones to be saved. I have a very good friend. His name is uh, Reverend Dr. David Kim. That's not his birth name. He was born in South Korea. And he came to the United States via being a Spanish-speaking missionary in Ecuador. So he was born in South Korea, learned Korean, then learned Spanish. And he was a missionary in uh, Ecuador. And then he came to the United States. He's a personal friend of mine. I call him like a personal discipleship coach. He's somebody that... It keeps me accountable uh, in my faith and in my calling as being a pastor. He and I meet and talk online about uh, every, every two or three weeks. Uh, and I've invited him uh, to come and be with us the weekend of May 11th and May 12th. Uh, David Kim started an organization called Global Mission. And that's a, that's a smashing together of two words, global and local. Uh, because we believe that that is the mission of the church, to be a church that has eyes globally, that is locally here, but also globally. And so what David Kim is going to do, and, and I, I'm giving you the first invitation here, on May 11th, it's a Saturday, uh, we don't have all the details fixed, but if this sounds interesting to you, pencil it in on your calendars, it's going to be free of charge, but we're going to put together a, a training seminar. On, on that Saturday, kind of a, a whole day thing, uh, for leaders of the church, but not just official leaders, for any of you who are interested in the practicalities of, of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And how can I learn to actually live as a disciple and even disciple other people, lead other people to follow after Jesus Christ? And so this is the first invitation to you. I pray that if you're interested in that, that you'll join. We'll get more information to you soon. And then on May 12th, he will be our guest preacher. And he is a phenomenal preacher. But here's the purpose of that weekend. Because he will help us to come and assess those three words that you see up there. How are we doing seeking the lost? Discipling the found? And multiplying disciple makers and churches. How are we doing church? How are we doing? Seeking after the lost, and then when people come to believe in Jesus, how are we doing? Discipling them, that is, growing their faith, so that then they are multiplied and go do the same thing with others. We will try to leave that weekend with a plan put in place for us individually and us as a church to have a global mission. That is a going 
going DNA in our lives and in the life of this church. My friends, there are people all over the world dying without knowledge of Jesus Christ. Dying without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. People all over the world are dying without knowing Jesus Christ. And I pray that you know that you don't have to travel to foreign lands to find them. You know them. You know them. They are your neighbors. They are your families. They are your friends. And frankly, they're your mission field. And you are the missionaries. You don't have to go overseas to be a missionary. Every Christian is a missionary. And everybody without Christ is a mission field. Would you please go and speak the good news of Jesus Christ? Next week, next Sunday, we enter into Holy Week. And in Holy Week, this is the last week of Jesus' life. We have four uh, um, main worship services during Holy Week. And if you've never come for the series of all four of them, I would, I would highly encourage it. It's, it's really dramatic and, and spiritually impactful to follow Jesus. And so uh, keep that up on the screen, please. So we've got these four services. Next Sunday, Palm Sunday. Then Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. And Easter Sunday. And we put together a, a sermon series uh, focusing on an item for each day. The crowd, the cup, the cross, and the crown. And so next Sunday when we gather together on Palm Sunday, that's the day Jesus entered into Jerusalem and we see a crowd gathered around him. And some in the crowd are praising him and some are standing off on a distance just waiting to figure out how to crucify him. On that same day, it's going to be our rite of confirmation where we have this year uh, five eighth graders who have gone through confirmation class who are going to confirm their faith in Jesus Christ. And as part of that confirmation process, as I do every year, I ask them to write a faith essay. And the basis of that faith essay is to answer the question, what does your faith in Jesus Christ mean to you? What does your faith in Jesus mean to you? We're going to have those essays on display but I would encourage every one of you to think on that question yourself. What does your faith mean to you? Frankly, if you take the Red Letter Challenge to heart this week, there will be a, a day where you're encouraged to essentially write your review of Jesus, to write your testimony, to write down what difference does it make that I believe in Jesus? Does that change the way I operate on a daily basis? My friends, that's really all that you need to figure out how to say you don't need to defend Jesus. He can take care of himself. You don't need to prove Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. All he's asked you to do is let your lips speak without a mute in your mouth and just simply say what it is that Jesus has done in your life. And he can take care of the rest. My friends, there are people literally dying without knowing of the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Don't take it for granted. Go and do not be silent. You are not the only ones to be saved. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.